Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here today. Looking out at the world of agriculture, things are jumping in the market. So far today, we've got corn up 11 to 14 cents. We've got soybeans up 6 to 7 cents, but the rally is being led by the wheat market. Chicago wheat up Five to 50 cents. We're going to be checking in with Arlen Suderman, chief commodity economist from Stonex here in segment three about these moves. And boy, there have been some headlines driving the markets today. We're also going to talk with our friend John Baranek of DTN Weather. We saw some rain this past week. We're going to hear what that did and how far it spread. And of course, we're also going to talk about its impact on the inland waterways. Folks, we've been talking about this extended drought in the low waters along the Mississippi. And in fact, that's our first conversation here today. Joining us now is Deb Calhoun. She's a senior vice president over at the Waterways Council. And Deb, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about the current situation on the Mississippi. Deb, are there any active closures here as we start this week? There are two closures occurring on the lower Mississippi River for dredging right now, and we are thankful to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers for doing that that dredging. Uh, Right now, uh, near Greenville, Mississippi, Lakeport, that is tying up about 20 boats northbound with 255 barges and then 42 boats southbound are in the queue with about 582 barges at that dredging spot. Wow, those are big impacts. And I assume this time of year, Deb, most of those barges would likely be carrying agricultural products. Is that sort of the the focus of the river this time of year? That's true. Um, this is a, um, a you know a big harvest time of year. We usually have low water at this time, but uh, we are dealing with historically low levels, and we're reaching crucial stages in some parts. Memphis is at a very record low. Uh, it's dropped out um, to a negative 8.19 below the river gauge, um, and that has gone down about two feet just uh, within nine days. Um, so we, we're dealing with some some real trouble in River City, if you will. We certainly are. And it's been slow in coming. We've been discussing it here for six weeks. It just seems to keep intensifying. Deb, you mentioned the work the Army Corps is doing. How much longer can they continue to dredge to keep this open? Well, one of the things that Waterways Council advocates for is to be sure that the Corps does have operations and maintenance funding to be able to have funding available for dredging operations. And, you know, we've seen low and high water sometimes in the same shipping season. So we need to make sure that the Corps does have the funding it needs to continue the dredging. At this point, it is really a wait and see when Mother Nature will cooperate. We really need rain in, uh, in you know, in the Midwest part of the system, Illinois and Missouri, so it can flow down to the lower mist. Uh, the industry, for its part, has been light-loading barges and reducing its draft and the number of barges that it's able to push. So that's really reduced freight traffic, you know, around 20, 25 to 30% when you're uh, looking at uh, light loading and, and looking at the draft situation. Um, they are working very closely with the Army Corps of Engineers on, on the dredging and pointing out hot spots where they need to be, where those two dredges of the Corps need to be, and also working with the U.S. Coast Guard, who is uh, marking channels with buoys and making sure that once dredging operations are complete, it is safe for those mariners to pass. So commerce is moving. It is moving inefficiently and slowly at this point. Uh, but we are still hopeful for rain and, again, making sure that the, the Corps has enough funding to continue its dredging operations. Absolutely. It's vital to keep that river flowing. And Deb, you mentioned there, the, the commerce is flowing. Barges are moving, perhaps haltingly, on the Mississippi, but inefficiently. And, of course, that raises cost. You work with so many folks who use the river system. Do you have yet an estimate as to how what the economic impact of this slowdown and dry weather could be? We don't have an exact number, but it is billions of dollars, with a B, billions of dollars. Um, I saw someone in the media note $20 billion, but it, it is far greater than that, probably threefold at this point. We are working to aggregate those impacts 
on the on the shipping industry and really the economy. I mean, this is the most cost competitive way for our American family farmers to move their products to the export market, and particularly what we're seeing in the world market uh, with what's happening in um, in the Ukraine and particularly over the weekend. Uh, where uh, Russia has extended its particip- participation in the um, in the UN um, embargo uh, grain deal, that will have an additional impact. All those buyers are now coming to the U.S. for their products to feed the world, and so again, as you said, it's a really crucial time to make sure that those products are getting to those those foreign buyers. Absolutely, it is. And Deb, you mentioned that we've seen low water and high water during the same season. Of course, a big weather change could solve these particular issues on the Mississippi. So look out with me a little further. We've seen the inland waterways receive several rounds of funding here during the pandemic. Has that work gotten started on some of the locks and dams? Well, yes, we were very grateful to see in the infrastructure bill, the Investment uh, Infrastructure and Jobs Act, uh, the the um, result was $2.5 billion coming to the inland waterways, and that's really for new lock construction. Uh, we have several projects on the system that are being built to provide some redundancy to the system. For example, many of these locks were built in the 30s and 40s at, at antiquated 600-foot chambers. So much of that work is to provide uh, the construction of auxiliary locks next to those 600-foot chambers uh, and providing 1,200-foot chambers. So that will be great gains and efficiencies. That really will definitely support our agriculture community and all the shippers on the system that are using uh, the waterways um, as they do. You know, we, we really use the inland waterways to move our, what we call our America's building block commodities. So, of course, harvest and ag products are particularly impacted at this time of year, but coal is also being impacted as well. Again, Russia has... Uh, pulled the plug on many supplies to Europe. And so moving coal to those export markets is really important as well. It certainly is. And we can't forget about fertilizer this time of year, needing to come back up the river to hit the farmers here in the Midwest for next spring. Deb, thinking ahead, has this low water level spurred the Corps to consider any new projects to perhaps uh, deal with this in the future? Or are we just trying to get through this current situation for now? I'm sure that the Corps is thinking ahead, as they always do. For now, we're just focused on Mother Nature and and, uh, doing our rain dance far and wide, uh, getting through this current disruption, and then looking ahead. And we will work, as we always do, closely with the Corps of Engineers for what what might be, uh, you know, potential ahead. But right now, we're just trying to get through and waiting for rain and lots of it. Waiting for rain and lots of it, Deb. That's a great point. If it starts to rain right now, it's going to take some time for this river to refill, isn't it? It does. It takes uh, several days. As I said, we need rain primarily in Illinois and Missouri and the Midwest part of the country. And it takes several days for that rain to flow down. Uh, But we're hopeful that we'll see some rain uh, in November and then particularly in December as well. Fingers crossed indeed for all that vital shipping on the Mississippi River. Deb Calhoun, Senior Vice President of the Waterways Council, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk about weather, what might be coming with John Baranek of DTN Weather here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. With harvest wrapping up, channel technical agronomist Don Gustafson joins me to provide an outlook on harvest and an analysis of channel's product performance this year. Don, channel products in the field, how'd they do? Well, because the farmers have faced a variety of conditions across the region this season, you know, some growers were able to get in the field early, others experienced a delayed planting season, and of course, throughout the season, moisture was either abundant, fair, or scarce. 
But despite these various conditions, um, channel corn and soybean products have performed very well. From the high yielding acre to the stressed acre with limited rainfall, we have been very pleased with our solid performance. We have a very exciting lineup and we've got great genetics and great breeding to, to back that up. That was Channel Technical Agronomist Don Gustafson. To see how Channel products are performing in your area and sign up to receive local harvest results via text or email, visit channel.com yield. At Bravant, our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly 3 million times against the competition. How many? 3 million frickin' times! Hey man, I'm standing right next to you. Ah, sorry, got a little excited. Don't take us at our word, take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant Seeds, it's about time. Bravant multi-year on-farm pre-commercial head-to-head comparisons, third-party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. You know, each morning when I get up and I like to check the news and read the columns, read the headlines from the folks that we turn to here for AOA for expertise. And I saw a headline that got me thinking politics. It said middle of country becoming a battleground. And I thought, well, yeah, with midterms ahead, I suppose that's that's where it's going. And then I read the article and it was by our very own John Baranek. He's not talking politics. He's talking weather. John, what do you see coming this next week? For kind of later in the week, luckily for the next few days here, we're going to be quite nice east of the Rockies, really. Um, very warm temperatures. We're going to be challenging some high or some record highs here across the northern states uh, uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday. But, yeah, that's that's going to change here. We're going to get a front to move in um, in the middle of the week. And that's really going to set up right across be between the, the Rockies and the Mississippi River, kind of a zone um, of, of changes here. And uh, what we've got really is a, is a trough moving down from British Columbia into the western states. We've got a nice big ridge across the eastern states providing the warmth. And they're going to really kind of battle it, battle it out here uh, across the middle of the country. Uh, it's going to mean some showers for a lot of areas. And we'll, we'll see a low pressure system kind of develop uh, around Texas late Friday or Saturday and then kind of move northeast up towards Hudson Bay. Um, and so right through the middle of the country here, we're going to have a, a nice big storm system bringing it, uh, quite a bit of, of precipitation through. Um, you know, it should help out a little bit. I know you were talking a little bit about uh, the river levels on your last segment, and uh, I think it will help out a little bit in some areas. But, you know, that that's that's kind of a long range thing that we need to be thinking about. Um, but we might also get some some snow. So the colder air that's off over in the west. Uh, could combine to make some some accumulating snow in the Dakotas, Minnesota area uh, over this this next weekend. Wow, John. Okay, that is a lot coming. I think your battleground <laughs> description was apt. Let's start with the immediate future. Looking at the record temps, potentially record temps in the northern plains. How hot's it going to get, and how far is that area going to expand? Yeah. So um, you know, records this time of year are kind of upper seventies or maybe low eighties, depending on where you're at. So. That's kind of where we're going to be sitting for a couple of days here, Tuesday and Wednesday, before that front starts to slip in. 
Um, it's not going to get that warm across like the eastern Midwest. I think most of those areas stay in the, the low to mid 70s for the most part. So not challenging the records there. And the, uh, the southern plains probably into the upper 70s to low 80s anyway. But then that's not that close. But, um, you know, for, for the Dakotas, for Minnesota, for Iowa, Wisconsin, you know, those areas, that's, that's, that's approaching, if not breaking those records. So, um, you know, our normal and our, and our record highs keep getting lower and lower as, as we move in. Uh, to toward winter and but you know i'll take it i'll, I'll tell you i'm right. living up here in minnesota i'll take the the 70s here for today for trick-or-treating absolutely but then of course it does sound like it shifts john that's potential snowfall you mentioned how far south could you see that extend and how far east yeah that's a great question i'm not exactly sure it's all going to depend on how this the storm system tracks here um, and we may even get a little bit of, of snow here before that, uh, kind of as it's kind of digging down south, kind of into uh, Wyoming and, and western Nebraska, maybe even northeastern Colorado a little bit here. That'd be Thursday night into Friday. I'm not sure it's going to be a whole lot, but that could be there. But uh, with a bigger system here this weekend, um, it looks like the eastern Dakotas and Minnesota have the best chance. So kind of that Red River Valley. Um, but, you know, it, again, it depends on the track. Uh, the storm system um, between the European model and the GFS, the American GFS, it's kind of a little bit all over the place. So we're just going to have to dial that in uh, as we go in through the week. All right, John. Well, you know, of course, we'll get it dialed in. We'll see what's coming. Then we can reflect on what came. I'm curious. I just pulled up the drought monitor looking at last week. We did see some rains come through the Southern Plains. We had some widespread moisture through the Ohio River Valley. Do you anticipate any adjustments to the drought monitor or the expanse of drought across the country when that gets updated? I do. Um, the, the drought monitor's data for that week ends early on Tuesday morning. And we saw a lot of rainfall happen after that uh, across the Ohio Valley, into the Tennessee Valley, um, down through the lower Mississippi as well. So uh, yeah, I expect uh, some some good changes uh, in the positive direction, uh, some uh, removal of drought in some of these areas uh, that, that didn't have a whole lot of it and some reduction in others. And um, uh, yeah, everything should be on a, on, an up, on a more positive trend here. I know we've had a kind of record coverage of drought um, since the drought monitor's existence in the early 2000. Um, and uh, it'll be nice to get rid of a little bit of this this area here. It certainly will, John. But let's look out a little further into the future. I know you recently completed your winter weather outlook. I know La Nina remains a prominent feature in that outlook. What do you expect to see as we get into November, December, and beyond? Yeah, so really, yeah, La Nina is going to stay in control. We've been talking about it now for this will be the third straight winter of it. I'm, I'm sick and tired of talking about it. I'm sure you're sick and tired of hearing about it. But uh, we've got one more winter season um, to deal with it before I think we're, we're going to get get rid of it. Um, and unfortunately that means cold clipper patterns throughout the winter. Um, uh, one interesting thing between this winter and kind of the previous two that we didn't have was this one has a better chance of more widespread cold in December than what we saw in the last two. So actually the last two Decembers were very warm for the most part before we really kicked into that La Nina pattern. But with, I think, Part of that is due to La Nina kind of sticking around all summer into this fall where it didn't the previous two. Um, and another part of that is some thunderstorm clusters that are moving around the uh, equator will, uh, will combine to produce some uh, better cold across uh, the eastern two thirds of the country here for December. Um, uh, you know, there is the caveat that if, if those thunderstorms don't exactly uh, match where we think they're gonna be in the tropical Pacific Ocean, um, that we could end up with a warmer December again, but uh, I think we've got the best chance we've got since probably 2013 at getting uh, some widespread cold across that part of the country. All right, some widespread cold coming. You mentioned the tropics still playing a, t a part this time of year. Do you anticipate anything as hurricane season comes to a close or was Ian the worst of it? Ian might have been the worst of it. Uh, we've got a lot of um, jet stream energy across the U.S. right now that if there were something to develop would pretty much tear anything apart uh, from organizing too well. Uh, there is a little system that is in the Caribbean right now, but it looks like it's going to head straight West. So it'll probably go through Belize and Central America um, and not impact us here uh, in the U S that'll be later this week. But um, yeah, we're, we're, I mean, there's always these cold fronts moving through. There's always a chance that something spins up on it, but 
the risk keeps getting lower and lower and lower as we look out into the future and, and the tropical season winds down. All right, good news for those folks there in the southeast. John, you mentioned that storm could head into Central America. We're talking a lot about South America this time of year. Can you give us an update on conditions in Brazil as those farmers continue to plant? Yeah, so we saw a really strong cold front move through Argentina over the weekend. Uh, temperatures are dropping a good 20 to perhaps 30 degrees below normal uh, in Argentina here. And that's moving north through Brazil here early this week. Uh, and it might get clear up to the equator. So that's a pretty strong cold front to get all the way to the equator. Uh, but behind it, it's going to clear out quite significantly. So Argentina definitely dry all this week. Uh, Brazil's got showers now as the front's moving through, but then it's going to be uh, another week at least of dryness uh, before we start to see showers moving back in. Uh, for central Brazil, it looks like probably the middle of next week. Same thing with some uh, isolated showers, possibly in Argentina. But for southern Brazil, it's going to probably take a little bit longer. Um, you know, Brazil, for the most part, has some pretty good soil moisture due to recent rains here over the, the spring season. So they'll be able to withstand some of this. Argentina will not, though. And so we're going to see some, uh, some really poor conditions continuing or, or developing and deepening down there in Argentina. All right. That South American weather is going to continue to be a focus as we get through the winter up here in the north. And John, I hope you're right about getting some rain here across the Midwest to refill that Mississippi River Basin that's so vital this time of year. Yeah, we need it. We sure do. Um, you know, I'm not sure we're going to get a whole lot of it, um, especially for, for the month of November. We'll get some systems moving through, but some of those might be accumulating snow features. And, you know, if it stays locked up into snowpack, it doesn't really help out the rivers. That's a great point, John. And with this absent uh, absent soil moisture across much of the country, do you expect that hard freeze and ground to freeze up a little sooner than usual? Probably, yeah. The uh, soil moisture really likes to lock or hold on to heat a little bit longer than in, than the dry soil. So, yeah, if we do get cold temperatures to move in quickly, it could freeze up a little bit sooner than than normal. All right, and I imagine that's not going to help in getting that Mississippi River basin to refill, is it? No, that would not. So yeah, any things are not looking great. Um, you know, we've we've had some pretty decent conditions uh, recently, but it's it's been enough to basically level off the the river right now. Um, the 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 amount of moisture we're we're looking at uh, moving forward just doesn't look like it'll be, be a significant improvement enough. Well, John, we'll keep checking in with you each week to get an update on how this is developing around the world and here in the U.S. Thanks for joining us today. Sounds great. Thanks, Mike. Always good to talk to you. You bet. That was John Baranek of DTN Weather. And when we return, we'll talk about this weather's impacts on the market with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stonex. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Wheat markets continue to scream higher amid Russia suspending its participation in the Ukraine grain agreement over the weekend as Russia has alleged that Ukraine dealt a blow with a drone attack to their Black Sea fleet in a weekend attack. And Russia has since backed out of the grain deal and that has sent a uh, war premium back into the wheat markets here with the food shortage concerns now back into the market as fears are rising there again after Russia backed out of the deal. There's talk that uh, a fleet of ships, some 12 ships 
outbound and four inbound could be escorted out by UN and Turkish ships here today as Turkey was one of the brokers of the grain deal. But we'll be watching that closely to see if it does happen or if anything else escalates there. A lot of worry about this grain deal, and it appears unlikely it will be renewed. It was set to expire here on November 21st. Now, this is the overwhelming big market news item here to drive the market trade on Monday. We still have harvest pressure going on. We still have issues with transportation on the Mississippi River and more, but it appears that uh, this news out of the Black Sea is going to be the big catalyst to start the week here in the grains. Meantime, stock futures, a weaker tone overnight as Wall Street braces for this week's meeting of the Federal Reserve and the expected interest rate hike from the Fed as well. We see wheat markets anywhere from about 40 to 55 cents higher across all three complexes uh, for the most part. Bean oil is up triple digits. Meantime, corn is up around uh, 9 to 13 cents with beans anywhere from about 4 to 8 higher. Livestock trade cattle under pressure with corn prices moving higher while hogs are mixed to slightly higher. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. You know, it's another day, so it's another day. We see a headline move the markets and move them in a big way. Currently, we've got Chicago wheat up 49 to 53 cents, corn following along up 12 to 15, and soybeans in the green as well, up 9 to 10 cents today. And it's geopolitical risk that's moving these markets. Joining us for an update today, it's Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with Stonex. And Arlen, let's talk about this Russian grain deal. What's the current situation over there in the Black Sea? Well, over the weekend, we saw Russia suspend its participation in the trade deal that was inked in July that allowed three ports in Ukraine to ship grain. Uh, and uh, that's creating a lot of concern in the markets right now. Uh, Ukraine is still trying to move some ships out. They sent 12 ships out today, allowed four more into ports to load up, um, those being escorted by uh, United Nations vessels. Uh, but I think that's going to come to an end because it really comes down to the ability to insure the boats. And the, the primary insurer uh, working through Lloyd's of London today has indicated that it's going to suspend um, insuring any boats going in to load up with grain uh, after about a seven-day window. So in other words, those who are in the middle of the process now have about seven days to get loaded up and get out of there. And uh, without insurance, it's going to eliminate most of the boats we feel from going in there. So basically shutting down the export of wheat and corn and other agricultural products coming through the ports will still have the over-the-land shipments, um, but that really does significantly reduce what Ukraine is able to ex s export, excuse me, and uh, does put more questions on this war that just continues to intensify. So, Arlen, we've seen exports coming in fits and starts there in the Black Sea region. Now that we've got some certainty here on this grain deal, how does this change your balance sheet for available wheat exports? 
Well, it still makes things pretty tight, and I think the fear is that uh, we could eventually see Russian shipments perhaps get halted as well, either by Ukraine or by Russia just weaponizing the food and, and saying we're not going to ship. One of the frustrations in this whole war is that things were, were have been going more, much better for Ukraine than for Russia with all the sanctions and everything and countries not wanting to do business with Russia. Um, and Ukraine ports being able to ship, a lot of countries preferred to do business with Ukraine, and they had the cheaper supply of grain, and uh, so things are going well. Meanwhile, Russia had this massive crop that they harvested this year, and they were having trouble exporting it because of people not wanting to do business with them or, or whatever. And so I think uh, Russia thought, well, if we stop Ukraine, maybe countries will switch to doing business with us. Um, but there's always a risk that they'll just say, hey, we've got the upper handle. Let's use food as a leverage here. Um, they did say that they were going to work with Turkey to donate about a half million metric tons to uh, needy countries. We'll see if that happens. But frankly, Russia needs to get rid of some of their supplies because their farmers are so discouraged about their domestic wheat prices and difficulty in getting parts to repair equipment stuff that their acreage is expected to be down for the for the 2023 crop. Um, so Russia has its own problems and needs to get rid of some wheat. And uh, so I do think that we'll see Russian wheat continue to flow, but this does tighten it up some more and probably increase the likelihood that we'll see a little bit more U.S. wheat on the market eventually, maybe toward next spring. All right, Arlen, I'm curious here with the moves the market is making today. We're 50 cents higher on the day. We've got a strong bullish story coming out of the Black Sea. Is this the right combination of factors to pull that outside non-commercial money back into the wheat market? Well, yeah, I think what it does more than anything else is it removes sellers. Uh, what what speculator wants to build any type of a short position or a sold position right now in these grain and oil seeds, especially in the wheat market, until it sees things settle down in the Black Sea once again? So in the absence of, of sellers, and then you have people coming in saying, hey, this is increased risk, let's be buyers, uh, it makes it easier for the path of least resistance to be higher for now. Um, doesn't mean it'll be a straight path. It doesn't mean there will be down days. But certainly I think uh, this is a market that's certainly going to be looking at uh, buying the brakes more than uh, more than selling the rallies as, as we go forward until we get a little bit more certainty in the Black Sea. All right. So with the Black Sea headlines moving the wheat market, Arlen, it appears that corn is making an attempt to follow. Is there enough fundamental news in this announcement to drive corn higher? Yeah, actually, I think it may be more supportive for corn and for wheat, but wheat gets the the sensational, the emotional um, presence because it's a food grain. But when you look at supplies, I think corn is every bit as tied in the world market and has problems. Now, Brazil is a supplier of corn right now and Argentina, and, and that will continue to be the case. But when you look at the world balance sheet, it's pretty snug, and particularly without Ukrainian corn. In fact, uh, the shipments early on were really favoring corn more than they were wheat coming out of uh, Ukraine. So this really tightens things up in Europe because Europe needs the corn right now, and it was heavily dependent on that corn coming out of, out of there. So I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing Europe look to the United States to see if they can buy more grain sorghum and perhaps more corn, but they don't like our GMO corn. So that may send them more to Brazil and tighten up their supplies a little bit more, but it uh, should be a boost to us with uh, them not being able to get their corn. Arlen, you mentioned Brazil right there and the demand that could be coming for their, their corn produced in country. They did just have an election. Uh, Lula was the winner. It's expected he might clamp down on acreage expansion there in Brazil. Is that news moving the markets at all today? I don't think so. Um, you know, a week or 10 days ago, I was talking to one of our Brazil brokers, and he, he asked me, What's, how are the U.S. markets uh, talking about the Brazil elections? I said, they're not. I don't want to minimize the significance of those elections, but there's just so many other things that are more dominant right now. The only ones talking about the Brazil elections are Brazilians. And uh, I, I think that's the case. I don't think the markets are really trading that. Uh, I think the big features are really what's happening in, in the Black Sea right now. And I'd say the number two feature is, is what's happening in China and what just came out of their 20th Congress meeting. And the fact that they were, were 
reporting this morning that uh, Xi Jinping is uh, looking at scheduling a visit to Saudi Arabia uh, to talk to Saudi Arabia about joining the BRIC nations, which is Brazil, India, China, and Russia. Um, and uh, I think that's more of a longer-term story, but I have a bigger significance for our commodity prices. Arlen, what is it or how would that China joining the BRICS impact commodity prices? Well, China's part, I mean, you, you mean Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, um, yes, please. Yeah, yeah, the BRIC coalition has been around for a while, but not really, really significant, kind of a trade group type of a thing. And then late in June, they all met in China, the leaders, including Putin and the leaders of India and Brazil, uh, and Xi Jinping hosted, and they developed an alternative banking system. It got very little press coverage at all, an alternative banking system, because when Russia... Uh, you invaded Ukraine. We put the West put sanctions on Russia using the SWIFT banking system, which is what allows international commerce to take place. So, in, in effect, made it difficult for Russia to do commerce trade. And so, they set up an alternative banking system using the Chinese yuan, its currency, as the primary currency. And they've been starting to use that to do business. Then, with India buying from Russia using yuans, etc. And so so by having that coalition of countries, they can help supply each other with the commodities they need. China particularly being interested in this after their last their meeting of Congress that met uh, and concluded here recently, where they changed their constitution to justify taking over Taiwan and put one of their top leaders in the country as the, the man who was in charge of the Eastern Theater of the military who did the blockade around Taiwan back in August. So they fully plan on taking advantage or taking control of Taiwan. And uh, so now with Brazil there to supply agricultural commodities and Saudi Arabia to provide energy in addition to Russia providing energy, that would help China be able to survive any sanctions we might put on. But it does raise significant risks about the ability of U.S. to continue to sell soybeans and other commodities to China if that were to happen, and I'd say when that w would happen. Indeed, Arlen, that is a somber thought to think about. But in the meantime, we're seeing a lot of enthusiasm here for beans and bean products. Soy oil up triple digits today. What's happening here in the soy oil market? Well, again, this comes back to the Russia and the Ukraine situation uh, with that the Black Sea being a primary supplier of sunflower oil into the world markets and with a trade agreement uh, suspended now, looks like that tightens up the edible oil supply. And uh, with edible oil supplies already at uh, a modern-day low as a percent of annual usage, um, that increases demand for soybean oil and helps support the soybean market. All right, Arlen, before we let you go, later on this week on Wednesday, the Federal Reserve will be issuing what's expected to be a next rate hike. How big do you think uh, Chairman Powell will go? 75 basis points is the expectation of the market, and I think that's pretty much the way they want to go. But the, that that won't be the news. What will be the news is the wording in the text of the statement, as well as Powell's comments in the press conference, looking for any indication that the Fed plans to slow down anytime soon or pivot their position and, and start pulling back. That's what the market's been anticipating. I think the Fed's going to stay the course. So it could be a volatile day on Wednesday as we read those statements. Indeed, we're back to reading the tea leaves of Fed statements, folks. That's Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stonex. Arlen, always appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. We'll talk through some more agricultural issues when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too to be a beacon of strength, a champion of courage, an advocate for hope. 
you are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. At Bravant, our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly 3 million times against the competition. How many? 3 million frickin' times. Hey, man, I'm standing right next to you. Ah, sorry, got a little excited. Don't take us at our word, take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant Seeds, it's about time. Bravant multi-year on-farm pre-commercial head-to-head comparisons, third-party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to The Monthly Grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on The Monthly Grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. With harvest wrapping up, channel technical agronomist Don Gustafson joins me to provide an outlook on harvest and an analysis of channel's product performance this year. Don, channel products in the field, how'd they do? Well, because the farmers have faced a variety of conditions across the region this season, you know, some growers were able to get in the field early, others experienced a delayed planting season, and of course, throughout the season, moisture was either abundant, fair, or scarce. But despite these various conditions, um, channel corn and soybean products have performed very well. From the high yielding acre to the stressed acre with limited rainfall, we have been very pleased with our solid performance. We have a very exciting lineup and we've got great genetics and great breeding to, to back that up. That was channel technical agronomist Don Gustafson. To see how channel products are performing in your area and sign up to receive local harvest results via text or email, visit channel.com yield. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Hello, folks. Welcome back to AOA. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. We certainly appreciate that and want to bring you as much news that's relevant to agriculture as we can. We just spoke with Arlen Suderman there from Stonex in segment three, and he spoke briefly about the Brazilian election, and he was exactly right. There has been very little coverage of this election here in the United States, but it is going to have an impact on agriculture. As uh, Arlen mentioned, perhaps we're not seeing it quite yet with the U.S. midterms and a drought in the Mississippi and, you know, bombs going off in in eastern Ukraine, but we are going to see it develop. And what happened was the former president, Lula da Silva, won the election. It was him versus the current president, Jair Bolsonaro, and it was a very closely fought election. Uh, there was a, a uh, an election about a month ago between four to 12 different candidates and Lula and Bolsonaro were the top two. They had their runoff Sunday night and Lula won the De Silva won. He is the, uh, the leftist candidate. Previous president was jailed briefly for corruption. His sentence was later overturned and he won 50.9% of the vote. As of the last counting, Bolsonaro won 49.1% and their political, uh, reach was broken down by geography farther north into the Amazon basin. Bolsonaro was the clear winner and farther south in the more Cerrado pasture land region of Brazil, Lula was the winner. And that's because one of the big claims that Lula was making during the, his candidacy was he wants to end hunger. So obviously connecting with agriculture, he wants zero deforestation in the Amazon basin, and he wants to attract foreign investment. So in order to do all of that, the consensus believes that uh, he is going to have to clean up Brazil's environmental record, and that could push cattle farming and soybean production out of the Amazon here over the next several years. It is certainly going to take some time. Don't expect huge changes in Brazil in the short term, as that country with almost a 50-50 vote continues to be fairly divided. No doubt we'll continue to see what is happening down there. Inflation continues to shape elections around the world. We'll see how it changes the U.S. elections uh, next Tuesday, November 8th on Election Day. Uh, we're also seeing it impact what's going on in Brazil and in Europe. Prices in Europe, it was announced this morning, jumped by a record 10.7% in October. GDP for the Eurozone did end up rising. A lot of economists were concerned that with the shutdowns due to high energy prices in that country over the past several months, they would have seen an economic decline, but it did eke out a two-tenths of a percent growth in the third quarter, beating, obviously, analysts' expectations. Um, Analysts had been expecting 10.3% inflation. It came in at 10.7 for the Eurozone. So those consumers are continuing to be slammed by high prices. Now, notably in that continent, the bulk of high prices are being driven by energy as Russian natural gas flows continue to be shut off and they are relying on stockpiles. We've got some news here south of our borders as well. We have been tracking the spread of H5N1, high path avian influenza, and it has been detected just south of the U.S. border in Mexico at a 60,000-bird commercial farm in Nuevo Leon State here. And of course, that state is on the border with the United States. This is, the, in fact, the second case. Uh, they reported their first ever H5N1 case just a week ago. So it does appear that these birds migrating farther south for winter are indeed carrying that HPAI, and we are likely going to see these outbreaks start to spread as those birds continue to move. No doubt impacting pricing of poultry ahead of Thanksgiving, notably when there's going to be a lot of folks out there in the turkey markets. While we're on the topic of Mexico, we've got some other news coming out of that country, and it has been a slow-moving story that is picking up steam. I would say if it's not a story you've heard about yet, you will be hearing about it more and more over the next several months. It's a big policy change by Mexico. They are planning to eliminate genetically modified corn imports into that country on January 1st, 2024. Now, there have been a lot of work behind the scenes, international associations working to help uh, Mexico perhaps understand the science behind GMO corn. And uh, there was hope that perhaps Mexico might back off this ban, might find some exceptions, but it does not sound as though they are going to. It was announced over the weekend that Deputy Ag Minister Victor Suarez in Mexico said that the country is on track to have have its imports of U.S. yellow corn, which is primarily the livestock feed there in Mexico, when the ban comes into effect in 2024. And uh, they believe they are going to be able to cut those imports because they are going to be increasing production in country 
of, uh, of organic, of non-GMO type corns. And they are also going to be looking at partnering with other countries around the world to buy that non-GMO yellow corn. Now, we will be speaking later on this week with Brooke Appleton from the uh, National Corn Growers Association about what is being done in this country to keep that market open. Of course, Mexico remains one of the largest partners for U.S. corn. The rail links make it a very easy task to ship that uh, yellow corn down into Mexico and supply their livestock sector. This decision by that country could certainly impact things long term, and it could cause some havoc here in the heartland as we realign the trade system to better account for Mexico's new goals. We'll be digging into that story more and more, and folks, don't think you have heard the last of it. We've also got some news, just an update. Arlen mentioned that uh, the Russian grain deal is back in question. The Russians have pulled out of it. However, there are still ships leaving several of those Black Sea ports on the Ukraine. But as Arlen mentioned, that's going to be coming to a close. Uh, Ascot is the insurance company working through Lloyd's of London that has been underwriting these freight shipments and grain shipments out of the Ukraine. And with this sudden announcement from Russia, Ascot has said they are done writing new coverage for ships to traverse the Black Sea. However, all of the current policies will remain in place. According to Chris McGill, the head of cargo at Ascot, he said, quote, insurance that has already been issued still stands. And that brings that focus on speed into play. As Arland mentioned, most of these insurance policies do expire in a fixed time window. So these boats will be working very quickly to move grain in, or excuse me, rather out of the Ukraine and other Black Sea ports before we see that completely closed down. One final case, we are discontinuing to see agriculture be in focus for the court system, and HSUS is continuing a lawsuit over Smithfield, saying that they are using fraudulent advertising in their ads, or fraudulent, fraudulent verbiage in their advertising. We'll talk more about that later on this week here on AOA, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you tomorrow, and we'll talk about what's happening in the soybean meal innovation space on AOA. Have a great day, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com.